Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From <laughs> the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Brig. And this is Vicker. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. How's it going? Uh, 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 Berg has a halo behind him. <laughs> Always. He's uh, his background is amazing. It looks like he's already he's, got. He has a large, a large glass of something brown. Apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually because I miss Iowa so much. I was, uh, I broke out my old Lake Time Brewery glass. Ah, oh, uh-huh. look at that. So from Clear Lake, Iowa. So. Have you been to Clear Lake yet, Vicar? Not yet. Sounds like I'll have to make a trek up there, though. Yeah, it's not that far. Like, well, and you can also go see uh, where the music died, where Buddy Holly's plane went down. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So that's and up there you can too. go see the Music Man. There you go, Music Man Square. Oh yeah, in Mason City. Yeah, uh, you can go to the Surf Ballroom tour. That's pretty cool. I've heard about that. Yeah, I'll have to take Marissa up there. She really likes the Music Man, so. So many Who things. doesn't? And you're only here a year, so make use of it. Uh, he has a, a special cup. Show, show uh, Peter your cup here. It says okay. Vicar 20.0 on it. Nice. <laughs> Is it a copper cup? It's just like a stainless steel mug. I, I have see. a family member who's pretty crafty, and she made this for me. Nice. That's awesome. That is sweet. What so, are you uh, out of it? Vicar, you still have, you're still work, working on your Johnny Walker there? Yeah. Yeah. What you got there, Bullhagen? Uh, I don't have anything today. I kind of rushed in here, did a workout, had a have kind of a meeting thing a little bit, get ready for something. So, yeah. How how was your conference? Conference was uh was good. <laughs> you don't sound impressed. I mean, my top twelve was just that good that it put everything else in a shadow, right? That's right. Well, though the first half. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was good. What was the best part? I had some good Q&As. Chapel was good. Food was amazing. I'm glad you had a good time. I, hey, the, a... one of the best parts was uh, stopping by uh, on the way back. Went to, stopped in Chicago. Had a, Oh, yeah? Got Priceline, got a, a, a hotel on the Magnificent Mile in Chicago. Had a late night cigar walk in the Magnificent, magnificent Mile there. Downtown Rock Chicago. On. Didn't, didn't get mugged or anything. Came back with no bullet holes. Nope. Nope. No bullet holes. Vicar. Well, I mean, he had right. the biggest guns around, right? That's yeah, right. They're all scared. He took your shirt off. <laughs> That's what, you know, I didn't. Oh, oh I didn't. man, dude. That was the first thing I asked him, too. What did you take your shirt off? Well, it was a Friday night. <laughs> and, you know, see, here's the thing, you know, like certain dudes, like if you're walking around with some guns on your arms, right? Mm-hmm. Some guys automatically want to pick a fight with you. Yeah, they want to test test the metal there. They want to be the the bigger yeah. guy. Yeah, right. So i I didn't want to cause anybody to sin in downtown Chicago. So, mm. <laughs> lest you, you cause know, your... you that was the Christian thing to do. Yes, yes. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, um, uh, for the sake of the weaker, right? <laughs> we did. So, yes. I'm glad you're putting that into practice in your own life. Yeah, that's right. Hey Berg, what, I I I 
I realized we failed to mention exactly what you were drinking. We you mentioned your cup, but you didn't mention yeah uh, what you're actually sipping on there. So I'm sipping on some Kirkland blended Scotch whiskey. It's pretty great. Um, nice. It's a nice uh, inexpensive drink that I can you know imbibe while we do this awesome podcast. So for sure. Hey, you know, what I realized today. You know, I don't mean to go off topic. I, I, no, uh, no, please. No, seriously. <laughs> I, I realized no, no, today. No, no, it's okay. Because uh, Vicar was there. I actually gave a motivational speech today. You did? Yeah. Where? It got me pumped and it wasn't even towards me. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's surprising. It's, so I gave a motivational speech, which is, how would you describe a motivation? It's direct. Mm-hmm. It is uh, no mincing of the words. No. Straight and pure uh encouragement it's all third use yeah just like encourage and i i I, and whenever i do a motivational speech a lot of times it just takes people by surprise very rarely outside of maybe a sport or something does someone actually stop and say you know i just wanted to tell you you're doing a good job and i really appreciate this and and uh, i know it's a hard time for but you you got this you're gonna be stronger by the end of this we don't do enough of that. What do you think, Vicar? No, I think we could definitely do for more encouragement. Berg, are you Especially... spiking that with something else? I'm gonna add more Kirkland. I'm gonna add some Drambuie to it. Ooh. Mm. Uh, what is Sorry for interrupting. What is Drambuie? It is a liqueur, a unique blend of aged Scotch whiskey, heather honey, herbs, and spices. So I believe the drink that I'm making is called a rusty nail. A rusty nail. That is. That's my motivational speech to everybody. There you go. Do you ever ever give a motivational speech, bro? Every day of my life. Yeah, I got a place down there. (laughs) What are you? (laughs) Come on, man. I thought this pa- this podcast is like a motivational speech. It is. To, uh, Listener, you know. how, how do I give the listener a motivational speech? Uh, Bert, give me something that you think the listener would need encouragement on, and I'll, and I'll give him a motivational speech. Maybe we should make this a be- like a weekly segment, but Bullhagen's motivational speech. Okay, uh, living in an ungodly world. Okay. All right, listener, you live in an ungodly world, and I just want to give you a little encouragement. Right? Listen up. You live in an ungodly word. Don't listen to those voices. You know what the word is. They're going to call you stupid, dumb. They're going to try to make your life difficult. There's only one voice in this that you really need, and that's the voice of Christ. And he is not silent. He speaks to you in his word. He tells you you're forgiven. Be encouraged. You have hope. And what I mean by hope, Vicar, I mean you know what God has promised, and it's as real to you as everything you see, even more real, because what you see, what you hear, will let you down. What you have in Christ is solid. This world might cause you suffering, listener, but guess what? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope, and that hope will not disappoint you, because you have been given the justification, the forgiveness of your sins, life and salvation that cannot be taken away. So you live in an ungodly world. They are led by liars. They seek to destroy everything good. 
Don't listen. You got, you got it. You got this. You have Christ. You have his word. So go forth this day, listener, and likewise be motivating in the word, the gospel. Encourage one another. See each other as brothers and sisters, unified by the blood of Jesus. Go forward. Encouraged by the Clerical Heirs Podcast. There. There's your motivational speech. Wow. I can't wait for next week when we talk about being vegetarian. Okay. You want me to do a vegetarian? Okay. (laughs) Bro, listen. Do you know how much soy you need to eat to fully, completely power your pecs? Do you know how much soy, how many nuts, legumes... Split peas you have to have truly to pack on some muscle. Some quinoa. No, no, no. This is your motivational speech, vegetarian. You need some meat. You need meat. Our bodies are made from meat. You got this. Just take a morsel of vitamin-packed, amino acid-filled meat. And I would start with some venison, some really earthy meat, some buffalo meat, grass-fed you could eat that meat. You got this. Eat that meat. And your body needs it. All right? So he's not going to do it, bro. There you go. I can, I'm so ex- I'm so happy because I'm going to have my new text ringtone be you saying legumes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should talk about the text. All right. Yeah, if you want. So, Vicar, uh, I guess we haven't talked. How'd you do on your sermon today? It's coming along. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Vicar. <laughs> Vicar, listen, you got this. It's a sermon. Like, you are here to do this, bro. Don't listen to all those voices of what they said about your last sermon, Vicar. Okay? <laughs> you got this. Wait, wait what were they saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry about it. Don't worry. I know they didn't tell you this. It was all to me, but trust me. You can do way better. I believe in you. There. You feel motivated? <laughs> I feel so hopeful now. <laughs> so what is your text, Vicar? It's uh, the gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. It's the uh, the healing of the man with dropsy. And uh, I guess you could ca- uh, characterize it as Jesus' lesson on table manners. He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's that text. Okay. And uh, what direction have you gone so far? Well, I'm sort of playing with the uh, the fact that this is sort of uh, the, the healing along with the teaching is the same. Uh, it's two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, this man was humbled by his sickness so that Christ may be exalted through him. And uh, true humbling, true humbleness comes from an earnest desire for other people's well-being above yourself, right? And this is what Jesus came to do. Uh, he came as a servant to bring, uh, to bring up humanity, to restore humanity. Um, in this way, he truly humbled himself, and we have that then as uh, an example for how to humble ourselves to be servants. Right. Do you know how, you know how I will listen to this text, Berg? How you listen to this is, text? Uh, no, this is... This is why Lutherans, this, a text like this is why Lutherans like to sit the back. <laughs> That's sure. exactly what I was thinking about while I was writing the sermon this morning. <laughs> right? Because, well, obviously, humble yourself and be exalted, right? 
So if you really want to be exalted, what do you do? It's at the back of church. <laughs> Although I will twist that around a little bit. You know, okay. okay so uh, the seat of prominence for young families is going to be the back. Mm-hmm. So what would be the loving thing to do? Leave it open. Yep. Go sit up front. Because for Lutherans, yeah. the back has become the front. Right. Yeah. That's like a Garrison Keillor spoof somehow. That's what you could do. You could like, you could, you know, channel your inner Garrison Keillor on that. I would love to if I knew who that was. Oh, you don't know who Garrison Keillor is? He's no. I mean, he's a terrible guy in a lot of ways, but I think he uh, sure. he kind of captures the uh, the cultural distinctivenesses of Lutherans. So, Lake Wobegon, gotcha. Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, that's all foreign to him. Okay, YouTube it. Yeah, I'll, I'll look that up later. Yeah, that's uh, we're we're getting old, right, Berg? Peter, you know who that is? No clue. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm just irrelevant before my time. So, listener, here, here, I've got this. So, listen, you got this, listener. Okay. Now you can be humble and still sit in front. In fact, you need the forgiveness. Sitting in the front is a way of saying, "I need to hear God's word." Don't be so concerned about where you sit. Really. You know, it's not a humble here or there. Be there to encourage. Sit where it is encouraging. In fact, here's this. Here, I got this, okay? Sit with someone who's by themselves. Sit with someone who might need help. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if you're really thinking about humbling yourself, most people, if, if, if that's your point, I'm going to humble myself in that kind of a setting so that I, whatever may come to me, it's not really humbling. When no. Jesus humbled himself, he wasn't thinking, well, I'm going to do this so that wasn't like a, an investment in his future by doing something. It was truly humbling himself, becoming the least. And most people who humble themselves in repentance aren't doing so that they get something. It comes from actually hearing God's word and being humbled by the word of God and be humbled by their sin, be humbled by whatever situation that they're in. A humbling situation is just seeing the world and you as they really are. It's just a moment of honesty. You know, the, the most pious people I know, as far as understanding and hearing God's word and truly believing it, um, and I'll, I'll say this, generally has not been pastors. <laughs> uh, uh, you ask them, and uh, they are the ones that are most clearly in tune to their sin and their humble estate. Good example of this is Mary. She's giving the greatest honor, the mother of our Lord Jesus. And she saw herself as a humble estate. I am a servant. Man, these motivational speeches got me going, Berg. Good work, man. <laughs> You see that? Is there anything? See that vicarage deal is was good for you. You came back, re- yeah, re- refreshed and revigorated. That's I'm refreshed. All right, you got any, any thoughts on the Texburg? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you can always focus on third commandment. What does that mean? How does that differ from the Old Testament? Um, what does good mean? Right. Um. Right. You know. 
about those how about about those who uh have to work emergency jobs on the you know on the day of worship like if you have to pull out an ox mm-hmm. or a donkey i mean there are professions that require that um i've actually run into that a little bit here and it's a little disturbing um how some pastors basically run down people who are doing exactly what jesus says when they serve on the fire department or uh in the medical field and they're required to work on Sundays for the good of their neighbor. Um, and then they get chastised for it. That's so I think, you know, there's a lot of that very foundational preaching that still has to go on, um, mm-hmm. that we still need to teach about. It, and that's a situation where you also, if you're in that situation, listener, and you, you're in that where you are, have to work or that is needed at that time. One, lest you let your pastor know, so he doesn't worry about where you are. And two, also then, your your pastor is also very happy to accommodate and help you with that. If it means, you know, having a time where you have a, a, a little service with them, bring them communion, so they don't have to, so they still get what they need and are nourished even as they are serving. And if you look at what Jesus really talks about is he understands the law in the sense of the law being a summary of loving God and loving your neighbor. That's, I mean, that's what the Ten Commandments do, and that's what they teach, and that's what Jesus understood. By healing this man, he was loving his brother. And that was his vocation. He was, he's a savior. He's God. So, what'd you say, Berg? You know it. All right. Thanks for the brotivational speech. <laughs> I do it again. Should we move to the top 12 list? We got we have six more. Sounds good. Uh, Peter, would you like to review what the topic of this top 12? Oh, first something needs to happen. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Wow, he's learning. I didn't have to... I didn't have to, like beg him to do it. Good job, Vicar. I saw the transition happening and I was just waiting for the opportune time. Berg, he's learning leadership. <laughs> well, Hagen, what is the top 12 uh, that, that Berg was going to remind us? Um, it's a lot of big words, but it is uh, Martin top 12 quotes from Martin Luther's sermon on Invocavit Sunday in regards to kindness and gentleness in yeah, teaching patient teaching and, and waiting. Meeting. Yeah, you're pretty close. So the the official name he gave it last week was Berg's Top 12 Biblical Arguments from Luther's Invocavit Sermons on Patient Teaching and Waiting. Berg, even your titles are masterpieces. <laughs> i do it again. I wouldn't say I'm a hero. Maybe a Sasquatch. Because no, no Berg, one I gotta say this. me but me. No, Berg. <laughs> what? Berg, now <laughs> That's listen. That's so sad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's just begging for motivational speech at this point. Berg, listen up. Berg, I got this. Okay? There's a reason, Berg. I sent you that text at 7 in the morning five years ago that said, hey, Berg, we should do a podcast. Right? Remember that? Did you just say podcast? <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, a reason back to the motivational speech is because you are an amazing theologian. You know more than... I hope to know. 
you are a walking uh, theological encyclopedia, and we could not do this show without you. Do you know how many times I've said, because we have had times without you, man, this would have been so much better with Berg. Do you know how many times? Because I believe in you, not in a salvific way, by the way. Okay, good. I'm glad. As a, as a brother pastor, I believe in Berg. Look at me. I can see you through the screen from the other other side of your background. Listen, okay? Uh, I believe in you as a fellow brother pastor. Not a, not a salvific way, right? You got that? Uh, and as a podcast host, as a top 12 content creator, and don't you ever think that I don't have your back. I have your back. There. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you did remind me of something that I, I do I do want to do a public servants, service announcement on this uh, because you talked about believing but not in a salvific way. Okay. Yes. So you know how in the Nicene Creed, you know, I believe in one God and in one Lord Jesus Christ and I believe in the Holy Spirit? Yeah. So it's really interesting because if you look back at the old hymnals, they they don't say, uh, and I believe they they do not say this. They say, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. They just say, I believe one holy Christian and apostolic church. And I think I think that's mm. a good way to distinguish between the salvific believing, right? You believe that the church exists, right? But the church is not an article of faith like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in church, just don't say the in when you say, and I believe it, I believe one holy Christian and apostolic church. So. Yes. And if you don't believe that your local congregation is giving you the word of God, you don't believe in the church structure. You believe in Christ and his word. Amen. And what's the distinction we make there in catechism class, Vicar? I'm sorry, I'm kind of lost. But the, the distinction between what? Like the visible church and the invisible church that Bullhagen's talking about here. Well, the visible church are the gifts that we receive on Sunday morning, right? When Christ is present. Uh, and the invisible church is... No, I, I think I have that All right. wrong. I'll, I'll give you an example. Sorry. All right? All right. I, when, when, where are you going to find regularly dudes who are ripped? At the gym. Right. Why? Because that's where they get ripped. Right. Because what big builds massive pecs? <laughs> Great bench presses. That's correct, right? So generally, you are going to find those who are ripped at the gym. So where does saving faith come from? Not the gym. The word. Right. Right. So where are you going to find those with faith in Christ? Gathered around the word. Right. Is that, is that, does that help, Berg? Is that what you were going for? Kind of. You took it in a different direction, but I just rolled with it. Right. So I don't know. I'm feeling kind of down my on myself, Berg. Why is that? <laughs> I think he's asking for a motivational speech, Berg. <laughs> um, you're doing good, Bullhagen. Keep it up. Okay. That sounds so natural from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. All I mean, right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, see, I I, I can got be like, this. I you, got you do this. have this. 
Let's go. All right. So yes, let's go. <laughs> so yes, I'm sorry. I am all over the place, Berg. Just put up with me today. Um, I I I bear I bear with it because that's what we do, man. That's what we do. That's right. We're there for each other. Uh, <laughs> every time you show your glass, it's full. But I swear, <laughs> it's getting drank. <laughs> That's how you keep this is guessing. a fun. This, this this is a fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we are number six. Number six. And here, dear friends, one must not insist upon his rights, but must see what may be useful and helpful to his brother, as Paul says, "Omnia mihi lecent," said non omnia expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. 1 Corinthians 6.12 Now, this is very interesting. This passage actually deals more with the individual's relationship to Adiaphra, those things that are uh, neither commanded by God nor forbidden. Um, so it's interesting that they cite this one uh, because this the whole point of, of this one, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, it's not really talking about the other people. It's talking about yourself. It's really saying don't be a slave to your own desires and to your own opinions. And that's what the end of verse 12, which isn't quoted here, really says. It says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so there's actually a better verse in dealing with adiaphora with others. And that's 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24, where Paul says something very, very similar. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And so both 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 10 deal with adiaphora, right? Those things that are neither commanded by God nor forbidden. The first, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, deals with adiaphora in regard to yourself, don't be a slave, especially to your own selfish, egotistical heart. But the second that I that I quoted, you know, 1 Corinthians 10, deals with others. And I think this is the one that Luther actually had in mind. And I think the, uh, the translators of, uh, you know, uh, Luther here in Luther's works probably actually put down the wrong verse, right? Mm. Because the second actually deals with others. All things are lawful for the Christian, but not all things edify or build up the brother. And so the second verse is actually saying, seek your brother's well-being. What I, what I find amazing about that quote is, is uh, that is, that could be, that, especially the beginning of that quote, could be just shouted from the mountaintops. Because how many churches have fallen away from God's word because they're focused on what our rights are, my rights, you know? Rather yeah. than what is loving, what are my rights? Who are we to say that someone doesn't have the right to be a pastor or to that 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 liberation theology, where it takes all those things, not how to be a servant, but how to to get yours. Man, that's that's done so much damage to the church. It's unbelievable. And I think in our American context, it's very prevalent because. You know, we like to talk about rights. It's interesting because in the Bible, and I'd love to do this sometime, is actually go through and every time they translate it as right, 
actually look up what the word is. Because in a lot of places, I found that the word is exousia, which means authority or power. And it doesn't deal with natural rights. It deals with rights according to the office. So, for example, St. Paul will say, don't I have the rights as other apostles? Can I get married? Can I do this? Can I make my living from the gospel? And, of course, the answer is, of course you can. That is your right. But Paul forgoes his rights. He forgoes his authority in these things in order to build up and edify the Christian church. I think a lot of the sort of right talk that we have today in both politics and everything else, it's not really from the Bible. It's it's really a jump. It's a jump from natural law to kind of this enlightenment thinking that there are inalienable rights that we all possess. And that has caused a lot of trouble, both today and uh, in the past. And I think that's something, as the Christian church, we actually have to to deal with. Because who has rights? Not us. The Son of God does. And yet, he gave up all of his rights and became a slave. And I think that might actually help in our whole discussions you know, with a lot of different stuff that goes on today. So, yeah, that's, but that is, you want to riff on that at all? Or, yeah, I like voting. You know, I, this is why I, I do. I have, I kind of have some huge reservations when people vote on stuff because voting implies power. And I mean, I'm not even talking about like, you know, women's suffrage or whatever, but voting in church can become factional Mm -hmm. and it can be a play for power. And I I think even that can lend itself to temptation. So. Right. It's kind of a, a, kind of like when it comes to church polity on like on a, you know, less so I say in the, in the local congregational level, but district synod level, you know, the saying goes, who do you, should you vote for? The one who wants it the least? <laughs> yeah. You know, but those guys don't don't ever get elected very often. You know? I know. That's why you've never been in in uh, ecclesiastical office that way, right? <laughs> well, Maybe one what do you mean? I've been circuit visitor for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway... But I think those are all things to, you know, think about. There's a great article by August Pieper on this human domination in the church. Uh, I think every congregation should read it. It's very well written and it's very straightforward that constitutions don't save us from things. Um, Rules don't save us from things. Bylaws don't save us from things. We need the word of God to change people's hearts. And that's what Luther is doing here. He's preaching. He's not passing a bylaw. He's preaching. There, and there, there is also a kingdom of the, the right parallel to some of this discussion. And that is uh, uh, the military, how the military has changed. It's all right-based. Who has the right to serve? Who has the right to fight in battle? And when you're dealing with war, it's that's not where that discussion belongs. I don't think because well, one, yeah, it's strange. It's strange to me that we would talk about the right to serve in the military when serving in the military 
is a huge sacrifice. Yeah. That seems strange to me, I guess, but... And if you look at vocation, women have the right to not serve in battle, which we're slowly taking away. Which, yeah, I mean, not just the right, but who wants to go to battle? Yeah. I mean, anyone who wants to go and, and shoot people is probably a, they're probably a psychopath. And I'm not sure I want them serving in the military. <laughs> and, and and any man should say, well, I would rather go before the women. <laughs> There's something that men should be mindful of. I'm here to protect. And... Uh, why would I? I'm there to protect women. I'm here to protect others, and I don't want to fight. But if it means me fight or someone else fight, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's a sacrifice, and I'm not sure it's viewed as a sacrifice anymore. And that's kind of problematic, I guess. I actually had, you know, I, I thought mentioned that I was walking around Chicago, kind of having my cigar in, in the evening, you know? Yeah. And actually was thinking, I was walking around because, you know, it's a little different than Iowa, right? Like if there was a shooting or something like while I was out there, I was thinking, this is what I was actually thinking. How would, I wasn't thinking, how would I protect myself? I was thinking, how would I stop him? And I I stopped for a second. That's weird. So you know what I mean? Where I I would argue that that's the right response to have, not because right. you running away would be cowardly thing to do. Instead of saying, "How am I going to stop this threat?" Right, but I, I then I was I was walking, I was playing with scenarios like how would I like push a gun away, or how I would yeah you know you know throw people out of harm's way. But th- that's not what we're what we're, we're the way we're raising men to be anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I it is. I was just reading uh, an article. Kevin Sorbo was, uh, you know, the guy who played Hercules. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, he was kind of lambasting men today, and that they're kind of wusses and that sort of thing. And you'll find that guy in the gym. It's yeah. I mean, he was Hercules, right? <laughs> Legendary Adventures. <laughs> but I mean, there there is something to be said about that, right? That. Uh, I think you can go over into the other ditch, and that's what we see from a lot of guys because they react so strongly to this that they they almost become hyper masculine to the point of of you know hate to use this word, but kind of a toxic ma- masculinity. Yes. So I I think there is something to be said about that, but at the same time, like there are manly virtues that should be encouraged. Right, and I I would say that that toxic that you mentioned is kind of a backlash of the feminization that we see, but they don't have a role model or a way of seeing what that mass, what true masculinity really looks like. And so it becomes this, uh, unchained Uber masculinity. Uh, I like, uh, Andrew Tate what w- comes to mind of where he, 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 he's very good at like putting his thumb on what's wrong, uh, in a way that gets people to, Oh yeah. But then, he doesn't know how to answer it. Right. 
Well, I even look at this. Uh, there was this guy that wanted to go into the military, be a chaplain and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he was just a loud and obnoxious and kind of belligerent kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of beat him up in seminary. <laughs> and it worked. Like, I mean, you mean like a physical just, scrum? Like, actually, yeah. Fisticuffs? Not fisticuffs. I I wrestled him. Uh, and, a hurley burl, uh, you know, if you will. Was it a hurley yes. burl? I a slobber knocker. I, I, I really. Uh, I think a slobber knocker is a beer from uh, one of our favorite uh, watering holes. But okay. But you uh, know, no, I keep mean, go on, please. There's more. Surely, uh, there's more. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Surely there's more, right? I've tapped out. But, okay. okay. <laughs> That's an MMA. But. But but this is the thing is there are some guys who they almost need to be beaten up in order to find their place, you know, and it's just kind of sad. And I don't exactly know what their background is, but you don't need to fight. You don't need to be fighty. You don't need to be aggressive all the time. That's not being a man. That's being that's being a pagan man. That's not what our Lord calls us to. And, you know, he says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Yeah, masculinity calms things down. We actually, I think we actually talked a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> about preaching, didn't we? Yeah, we talked about that last week when we were going over preaching. Right. About how a masculine voice is very calming. It's actually calming. And not like an apologetic masculine voice, but like a, a real, like true masculine voice. Right. It, it, it de-escalates. It calms. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many guys, especially my age, who... um try to speak softly to people because they think, oh, they don't want to scare, you know, Grandma Schmidt with their masculine voice, but really they don't truly understand that they sound feminine and it's kind of a subversion of what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, that, right. uh, that's kind of like the the, the brotivational to get back to that, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, all right. We should move on to number five. Number five. Therefore, we must not look upon ourselves or our strength or our prestige, but upon our neighbor. For God has said through Moses, I have born and reared you as a mother does her child. Deuteronomy 1, 31. What does a mother do to her child? First, she gives it milk, then gruel, then eggs and soft food. Whereas if she turned about and gave it solid food, the child would never thrive. And then references to 1 Corinthians 3, 2 and Hebrews 5, 12 through 13. So, uh, Deuteronomy 1, 29 through 31, um, here uh, Moses is talking. This is his swan song, so to speak. And he says, Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. So Luther uses this as an example, but also as a comfort. Christ still carries the members of his church like a son, and he guards and defends them from all evil. So too shall Christ's under-shepherds, the spiritual fathers of, the, of Christ's household, care for his members. And that's exactly what uh, Karl Stott was not doing. He was not treating the Christian church as a son. He wasn't treating them as a babe who first needs milk, then gruel, then eggs and soft food, and the like. And then also some of the references here, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, where Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, 
But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you st- are still carnal. For where there is there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carl, carnal? Not carl, but carnal. And here, Paul is chastising them like a father. He's like, look, guys, you're babes in Christ. I'm feeding you with milk. I fed you with milk in the past. But you're still not getting it. You're still not making the connection. You're still not getting to where you need to be because there's still envy and there's strife and there are divisions among you. And yet, despite it all, he still calls them brothers. He's not saying they're not Christians. He's just saying, look, guys, you still have a lot of flesh clinging to you. There's still a lot of stuff you got to work through. And nevertheless, you're still Christians. But it's time to move on. It's time to be better than what you are. That, that, it's that, time to grow up. That, that's the, the distinction that I think people have trouble with because uh, pietism would say in order to be a Christian, you have to get these things in order. You know, salvation, actually, the fact that you are saved is a motivating thing. It is a new creation. And, and although you can't really progress in your salvation, you know, in the forgiveness of sins, you are saved. You are a child of God. But there is a learning and growing and a progression as far as how you understand it. And, and how sanctification is concerned. Right, right. Because um, when, when, when someone is converted and receives faith uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, you can't add to that. But that doesn't mean, because if the point is, uh, I am just in this Christian faith for the sake of not going to hell, you, you might have the opinion of, I'm just going to stop there then. I've got it taken care of. That's not really what faith does. Faith changes you to see things as Jesus did. And salvation changes you to actually desire to love one another, not for your own sake or not for your own benefit, but for the sake of the church and for the sake of others and for the sake of God's word. And so uh, I think that that is what kind of brings confusion that Luther, I think, rightfully brings up is, and Paul, is, yes, you are a child of God, uh, but you're still feeding on and learning and growing. You don't, we don't just throw you into the fire, which is why also that you have to be delicate with new Christians. Right. And it also means chastising those Christians who should be farther than what they are, right? Mm-hmm. And we especially see that in 1 Corinthians 3, and we see it in Hebrews five twelve through 13, where Paul says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracle of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So I think you're right. Like, we don't ever stop teaching but sometimes it's like, okay, guys, you've been Christians now for a long time. What do you, what's going on? 
Why are you still drinking milk? What's you need to progress? There's something wrong. Right. If your if your kid was still just drinking milk, there'd be a problem. Yeah. And that's that's not right. And I think sometimes pastors don't have that hard conversation because it's like, well, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to tell them that they're being babies in Jesus. And how, Jesus wants them to grow up. How about this? What about pastors needing to hear that for themselves? Oof. I you mean, ought to be teachers, but still but, but still, someone still needs to teach you? Oofta. That is, uh, I hate to be that pastor, but it's, it's, it's even it's more tr- necessary. It's true in that, in the sense of, of uh, it's really, speaking of someone who's been at this for over 25 years now, there is, it is easy to kind of rest on things, to not progress, yep. to kind of rest on your laurels when it comes to preaching and not really pushing to study, continue to be in God's word, to continue to, 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 to preach and always continuing because preaching I think is like weightlifting. Like if you're not, if you're not growing, what are you doing? You're losing it. You're losing it. And if you're not, if you're not always seeking, and I try to, I try to show this to the vicars where like this last sermon, I said, this is different. I've never kind of preached this way. And I wanted to show you that like, I'm always still trying to preach a better sermon and trying different things that I think might resonate with the people, not changing the doctrine, not changing the teaching, but how I preach it and, and how I present it. Um, I gave you an example. I give you an example of this in the weight room, Vicar. Yeah. Like the first, remember how gentle I was that first week? Yes. Right. Now, now that we're what, three, four weeks in, yeah. if you do a bad rep, yeah, <laughs> am I, I almost gentle? Got, almost got yelled at today. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I just, and we have to do the, the same thing for our, for our congregation members. Right. Like, you know, that's the thing is the old ones need to be, they need to be the adults in Christ. Right? And, and what happens is we make the kids the adults. Right. We, we tell eighth graders, okay, uh, you know, you know the catechism better now than most of the congregation does at this point. And that's, that's a terrible thing. I don't, we don't tell I, I them, just, but we, it, they, when uh, people say, oh, yeah, you, I could never do that anymore, or. It's a tragedy. Right. Yeah. It's like, you should be ashamed of that because you could do that. You could do that. Exactly. Unless you have Alzheimer's or some sort of mental disease that is prohibiting you from doing that, uh, you can teach old dogs new tricks. That's the beautiful thing about how God has created our brain is there's such a thing as neuroplasticity. Our brain will rewrite itself if it's damaged. So there, I just, I don't know. There's just no excuse. People can always still learn. People can always still seek to memorize these things. Even if it's not the meanings, at least just memorize the bare text of the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. This, this is why I, I personally, I'm not a huge fan of, of the the public examination in this way for a confirmation is is the fact that well one it's a I think it's important for the congregation to know that the kids know their stuff okay 
And there's ways. But then they should take your name. They should take your word and your elders' word for that, right? Right. And I, I do things like I make their final exams, the tests that they take public, where like we'll everyone's while go through Bible study. This is what their final exam looked like, and this is the test they passed, for example. But I think it sometimes it says a very terrible message when when the kids do that and people are like, wow, that was really hard. I'm glad you did it so well. I remember how hard it was when I had to do that. And it creates this thing where I would much. Had, had right, to? Right. Oh, man, that's terrible. It's just terrible, oh, the, man. The, I, that's, that is 90% of the way people think about that. And see, I, I know. And it's just like we, like everyone, you should be able, like honestly. Right. And this is the point I want to get to because like I want everyone in our congregations to know, like if you would ask them, okay, what's the third commandment? They can just tell you. And and that, that's that's what I'm I'm getting at. Like if right. I what I would rather have to think imagine what how effectual it would be to have someone uh come and recite the catechism for the kids. Like yeah. you know what I mean? how much more helpful that would be. Peter, you you kind of remember, did you ever feel that way a little bit? Like when your confirmation age, although we didn't do the public, you know, uh, examination, but thank goodness I would have been so scared. Right. And I, I, I completely understand that. Yeah. And I know you well enough that if you had to do it and then people would say that, that that would be damaging to your faith. Like if you had to do it and then people say, oh, wow, good job. I could never, you knew more, you know, you, you, that would bother you enough that you would say, well, this is stupid. You put me through this. Well, that's, as, that's just one as a way. dog that's and despair. pony show. Yeah. Either that or you become a Pharisee. Right? Right. Well, right. I know more than all these people who are communing. What in the world? Right. I, I don't know. I just, I think we need to get back to that. We need to get back to people being able to recite just the bare Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the verses for baptism, and the words of institution. They should, every Christian who is communing should be able to do that. You should be able to ask them Matthew twenty-eight nineteen or Mark sixteen sixteen. Mm-hmm. They should be able just to rattle it off. It shouldn't really be that difficult because you're not asking them to memorize much. And think about it. Like, thou shalt not steal. Okay? Mm -hmm. Like, if you work, I don't know, in the world, that's kind of a big one, right? Right. I mean, that's one every Christian should know. Or that thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. I mean, like, we're talking basics here. And this is, this is something that is bothersome because it's like, okay, if this is, if the small catechism is the milk of the faith, right? Mm-hmm. So many of our people don't even know the milk. They haven't digested the milk. They're not, uh, I don't know. But anyway, that's depressing. We should move on to number four. Do you need another motivational speech? <laughs> number four. So we should deal with our brother 
Have patience with him for a time. Have patience with his weakness and help him bear it. We should also give him milk food too. First Peter 2.2 2 and Romans 14.1-3. As was done with us until he too grows strong. And thus we, should, we do not travel heavenwards alone, but bring our brethren who are not now our friends with us. If all mothers were to abandon their children, where would we have been? Dear brother, if you have suckled long enough, do not at once cut off the breast, but let your brother be suckled as you were suckled. I would not have gone so far as you have done if I had been there. The cause is good, but there has been too much haste, for there are still brothers and sisters on the other side who belong to us and must still be one. Hmm. So... Here's here Luther is saying, look, let's be patient. Let's get these guys heavenward with us. It's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And we see that especially in Romans 14, 1 through 3 that was quoted. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not judge, who does not eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him. I mean, I preached a whole sermon on that last week. You can mm-hmm. go listen to that at Soapbox Shiblas, right? So, a couple yeah. weeks ago now. Yeah. And that's the thing: is like we want our brothers with us. We yeah, there's there was a good thing by Neil Carlson, who's a pastor here in Wyoming district, and he posted on his Facebook page. You know, confessional Lutherans often eat our young. Which means that we have these babies, you know, we bring people along, but then it's like, oh, well, you're not as advanced as me, so you're a lib, or you're whatever. Yeah. No, we still have brothers and sisters who need to be rescued, who need to be taught, who need to be guided, who need to be... who need to be given time to mature in the faith. And I just, I I don't see a lot of that. Right. I don't see a lot of patience. I don't see a lot of kindness. I don't see a lot of love for those who aren't as advanced as we are. And, and more of a desire, to, more of a desire to be right and win an argument. Right. And that's a terrible thing. And I, I just, it's not what the Bible teaches, and it's definitely not what Luther teaches. So if you want to do something else, well, hey, you can go fly a kite, I guess. Were, were you there at the pastor's conference one time where, uh, where I'm in Iowa East District, okay? And uh, we probably have a lot more in common with Central Illinois than we do with Iowa West in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so they were talking, hey, we should do a, a joint uh, convention with another district like uh, Central Illinois. And I said, well, why don't we do one with Iowa West? And the gasp that I got for mentioning at a pastor's conference that we should maybe dialogue with the people who live in the same state as we do rather than just running off to the ones we have more common in common with. As though that was a ghastly thing. That was ridiculous. How could we do that? <laughs> yeah, I... I... <laughs> Were you there for that? I don't remember. If you yeah, I mean, Missouri eats her young. Heaven forbid we tried to bring along the rest of Iowa. Heaven forbid we try to, you know, I don't know, 
be kind and compassionate and, you know, all that good stuff. Right. So, yeah. So there are competitors. <laughs> BC, it's all about power. It's right. all about, well, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't want to have to fight with these things. Therefore, okay, it's just easier to punt it or phone it in rather than talking to Iowa West. And Iowa West, there are so many good pastors there. Right. It's it's kind of like a, a you know a, a paper enemy like <laughs> that uh, a character where we have a caricature of them, right? That we're wrestling with. Well, that actually, if you want to talk about what it means to bear false witness, there's a prime example. Not talking. Well, because no one wants to be challenged. Nobody wants to struggle. No one wants to strive. I mean. Our flesh is weak, and it's lazy, and it's indolent. We don't want to have these battles, but we have to have these battles. We have to. So, because it is, let's say if you're you're a pastor in that situation, and you actually want things to change, you need the support of those around you to say things like, "Well, we've agreed." And you know what? To walk together you know, on these things. <laughs> you know what's even more funny about that? We're in fellowship with them. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, that's like the worst part about it. It's like, okay, sure, we're in fellowship with them, but it's, you know, obviously not according to the spirit because if it was, if it was then we'd actually, I don't know, save a bunch of money and meet in, you know, Des Moines or something. Right. So, I, I don't know. All right, let's well, move on to three. Because well, uh, unless you have more to say. Well, I would like to. We these are bringing so much discussion. I was wondering if we could save the last three for the final the next episode. If you yeah, want, we can. We can do whatever you want. Let's do that because we're we've, we're getting close, um, and these are generating a lot of discussion. And I don't want to rush through those last three. If, They're and, pretty important, I and I want to give them the time that they deserve. So instead, I'd like to bother Berg. Or. All right, Vicar, what do, do we say? Peter, play the intro. There's fake news. There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that bothers Berg. All right, I have a news that bothers Berg. AI Jesus is giving gaming and breakup advice on a 24-7 Twitch stream. Wondering how to finally conquer that impossible-to-beat video game? Maybe Jesus can offer a few tips. Hundreds of Twitch users are now chatting it up online with an artificial intelligence representation of Jesus as they ask him to impart breakup advice, explain the Spider-Verse, and anything else in between. The AI present 24 hours a day shares its take on any kind of question imaginable, ranging from silly to deeply existential. All right, I guess Berg... I guess the only way to really hit home for you with this is to see how good it is. <laughs> You're right. Here's an example. Okay. okay. All right. Jesus, can you explain the book of Genesis using pizza as a metaphor so Italians can understand? Demented Spud, I appreciate your creative question. Let me explain the book of Genesis using pizza as a metaphor for our Italian friends. Imagine the creation of the universe as crafting a delicious pizza from scratch. In the beginning, there was just dough, representative of formless and empty earth. Gog, the master pizzaiolo, began to shape and stretch the dough, creating the foundations of the pizza. 
just as he shaped the heavens and the earth. Dividing the ingredients, God separated light from darkness, like the cheese and the sauce, and then combined them to form the perfect base. God gun adorned the pizza with various ingredients, each representing his work during the six days of creation. For example, the addition of olives can represent the creation of the sun and moon, and bell peppers can represent the plants and trees. After each layer of toppings was added, God's... So, uh... So there's one example. I've got a couple more. <laughs> Which is not the worst. I mean, if you want to, like, I don't know. Well, it, it's hard to explain uh, creating out of nothing with pizza. I wish I had done this for when I did creation and Bible study a couple weeks ago. Ha! Huh. <laughs> I think I think it would have enhanced my my presentation. I, I mean, my son knows... Uh, you know, day one, God created light. Day two, God created the sky. Day three, you know, I mean, it's not that hard. No. But, you know, I don't know nothing, so. All right, so what is oh. this? All right, this is the Ten Commandments. One, no other squad leaders, but God fam. Two, idol vibes. No thank you. Three, don't misuse the big G's name. Respect. Four, keep the vibes chill on Sundays. Remember the Sabbath. Five, give a shout out to your rents. Honor them. Six, don't end someone else's game. Not cool. Seven, stick with your duo. Spouse, no playing other fields. Eight, yoink. Nah, it's a no for stealing. Nine, don't spread fake news about others. Keep a tone hundred. Ten, don't be jelly of your neighbor's loot. Keep your eyes on your own screen. I hope this helps your... <laughs> I actually kind of <laughs> like that one. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, Vicker. What do you think? I hated that. He was so speaking much. your language, wasn't no, he? No, <laughs> no. For this, I'll claim to be a millennial. Hey man, keep ah. the vibes chill on the Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> that that was gross. Respect the rents. I feel like I need to respect cook. the rents. Is not Zoomer lingo. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Keeping it 100. Fom. It could be worse, I guess. I did. This is true. <laughs> it shows. It shows how much. Uh, uh, people are actually desiring. Do you think people are seriously using this? Or is it just not a chance? I don't think so. No. Okay. Maybe. You never know. I mean, I don't. So so it's it's just a blatant using the Lord's name in vain on a high level. Pretty much. Which, yeah. I mean, for Christians, I'm sure there's some enjoyment. I mean, there's nothing he I mean, said he that did. was cray-cray. So, like. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> but, I mean, like, it wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't bothersome, the, I guess. But but the thing is, though, like, like, it's going by algorithms. And if people think that this is uh, Jesus, it's like this, this is keeping it 100 what Jesus would actually say, which I don't know if anybody would, but the odd chance that, because that, that is what's coming. Right. Is people placing trust in this and which just opens everyone up to being manipulated to whatever kind of like how how easily just by algorithms you can silent voices. Exactly. But I mean that's the thing is like it's getting harder and harder to trust anything that comes out anymore because of AI whatever, right? So Go yeah. back to the Bible, right? And uh, online church doesn't 
give you what you need. No, that can be manipulated just as everything else, you know, which it's funny we're saying that because obviously like this is our podcast, which is completely online, you know, <laughs> so but we, we've never claimed to be a church. Well, what is the church? Well, we we never claim to be someone's pastor. You're not the pastor to the internet. Right. Right. No, and I completely we say, agree. Talk to your pastor. Right, right. And we've always made that very clear, but at the same time, like we answer questions, we deal with things. I mean, like Yeah, you're a pastor on the internet, not a pastor to the internet. I do like on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 believe the clerical heirs podcast. Don't believe in the clerical heirs. There you go. <laughs> I believe in the Holy Christian Church, the clerical heirs podcast. <laughs> All right. That brings us to the close of this episode. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicar. And may your motivation be brotivation. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time. Eat nachos.